I'm Liz Sauer, and this is Ghosts and the Burbs, a podcast of ghost stories from Wellesley, Massachusetts. A warning, adults who use adult language told me these frightening tales, these ghost stories, aren't for kids. Happy New Year! I wish you all the very best in the year to come. May it be filled with peace, happiness, and more shows like The Haunting of Hill House. Stay tuned after the interview for a demonic tale involving three Patreon supporters. We're on to ghost story number 44, Holy Death. Atop a gleaming white console table stood several bottles of expensive tequila, flanked by two breathtaking arrangements of calla lilies and snowdrops accented by red-berried holly. Artfully scattered across the table were quarters, several crisp dollar bills, and a sparkling glass of water. At center stage stood a two-foot-tall skeleton with a shriveled-looking face, its expression somehow knowing and accusatory at once. It wore a white wedding dress and a veil and stood regally amidst its offerings, a sharp-looking Sith in its left hand. The altar was at odds with the otherwise minimalist surroundings. The family room had an uncomfortable-looking white couch, a plexiglass coffee table, and a Scandinavian-looking set of chairs, but nothing else save for a large piece of driftwood that served as the focal point above the spotless fireplace. No art, no throw pillows, no television. Large windows and a sliding glass door bathed the room in light and offered a view of Pine Forest. We were close to Morse Pond, in a home set back from the road, nestled at the edge of the forest. The couple stood next to me, obviously anxious for my reaction. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do or say. "'That's her,' Kelly said. "'Oh,' I replied, doing my best to sound impressed." Biddy stood at the threshold behind us. I could feel the disapproval coming off her in waves. Lisa nibbled at a hangnail for a moment, then said, We are hoping that you understand why we've chosen to tell you our story. Her wife added, We are cautious about who we share this with, but we thought that maybe you might... That you might enjoy hearing the story, since you're so interested in the supernatural. Lisa finished, pointedly. The women watched me. I glanced between them and the altar. Sure, yeah, I'm very interested, I said. Lisa turned. We'll have tea, she said as she walked past Biddy. Let's sit in the dining room, Kelly suggested. Biddy and I followed her through an archway to an adjoining room with a large white lacquered table and nothing else. "'save for the wire and light bulb mess of a light fixture that hung over the table. "'Biddy and I faced the family room, which provided a good view of the strange altar. "'Kelly sat facing us and the picture window at our backs. "'She had long brown hair that she wore in the top knot their generation had perfected. "'Her glowing youthful skin couldn't hide obvious exhaustion.' Lisa returned with a white tray loaded down by white napkins, white teacups, a white teapot, small white plates, and a white platter lined with those grocery store cookies with the sprinkles and frosting whose color changes every holiday. The morning was looking up. I reached for a napkin, a plate, and a cookie. The frosting was light blue, its sprinkles white. 
It was sweet enough to power the strange light above our heads, and it left a distinct chemical aftertaste. It was delicious. So you're praying to Santa Muerte, Biddy said plainly, as I took another big bite of cookie. The couple exchanged a guilty look. They were young, not even 30. Lisa had the cool, chin-length, wavy, highlighted haircut that I was always showing pictures of to my hairdresser, even though I knew my hair wouldn't ever get there. She was tall, at least six feet, and angular. She was a spin instructor at Bespoke. Someone had told her who I was, and she'd introduced herself after class one day, asking if I might have time to listen to a story. She stressed that she and her wife, Kelly, weren't having a problem or anything. They just read the blog and thought their situation might interest me and my friend, Biddy. "'Who's Santa Muerte?' I asked, covering my mouth with a napkin. Lisa and Kelly glanced behind them to the shrine. I followed their gaze. From here, it looked like a hodgepodge mess, completely out of place in the zend-out home. Kelly forced a smile and explained, Santa Muerte is sort of a patron saint. How in the world did you get mixed up in this? Biddy asked. We went to Mexico on our honeymoon, and we took a couple days in Mexico City before going on to Acapulco. We hired a guide to show us around, and she was really keen on giving us an authentic experience, Lisa said. Acapulco? Biddy said in disbelief. Yeah, we didn't realize, Kelly said, shrugging. Not wanting to appear like a dumb American, I didn't ask for clarification here, but later that day I googled Acapulco. The first article that came up was titled, Acapulco, Mexico's murder capital sees steady tourism despite increased danger. We should have gone to Cabo, but we got a deal, Lisa explained. I'll bet, Biddy snarked. Anyway, we thought authentic experience meant cool local restaurants or shops, but she took us to a Santa Muerte procession. It was really cool, if a bit intense. It reminded me of those Catholic festivals they have all summer in the North End. Worshipping this Santa Muerte is sort of an offshoot of that, but instead of carrying around a statue of the Virgin Mary, the people we saw on our trip were honoring a skeleton. Biddy sighed. What's the big deal? I asked. That's not a saint, and even if it were, you're not supposed to worship saints. I gave her a look to say that I didn't follow. The truth was, even though I was raised Catholic, I've never understood the whole saint thing. God seemed to get all worked up about worshipping false idols like that calf, but was apparently cool with people praying to St. Joseph if they needed to sell their house, or St. Anthony if they misplaced their car keys. People pray to Catholic saints for intercession, Biddy explained patiently. They ask the saints to plead their case to God. It's like giving your prayers a little extra oomph. But when you pray to Santa Muerte, you're asking her to answer your prayers. Isn't it basically the same thing? I asked. No, Biddy, Kelly, and Lisa said in unison. Why not? Because when you pray to Santa Muerte, you're asking her to do something for you or to get something you want. God isn't involved at all. The Catholic saints are considered holy. You can ask them to pray for you and to ask God to grant your prayers, but they don't have the power to grant those prayers. But Santa Muerte does? Santa Muerte does, Lisa affirmed. 
And people don't feel comfortable asking God for the things they asked Santa Muerte for, Kelly added. Such as, I asked, curious and still a little foggy on the notion of saints. Well, Lisa said slowly, lots of things, like a good parking spot or a leg up when your boss is considering a promotion, stuff like that. Hold on, Biddy said. You still haven't told us how you ended up with a Santa Muerte altar in your family room. It was during that trip to Mexico. The procession of Santa Muerte was so, you know, moving. It was our honeymoon, and we were looking to bring back a souvenir, something special to remember the trip. The statue doesn't really fit with your aesthetic, I commented, helping myself to another cookie. We thought it would be fun to add a touch of kitsch, Kelly replied. The holy death is not kitsch, Biddy admonished. Would you do the same with a menorah or shit? I don't know. A cross? I supplied. You're right, Lisa said quickly, glancing behind her at the statue. It was disrespectful to treat it like some sort of touristy souvenir. Nevertheless, we bought the statue from a vendor at the procession. Our guide explained how to pray to it, how she liked offerings of alcohol and money, and that we were to provide her with water and fresh flowers. But that's all she told us. She didn't explain everything properly. She should have told us. At the very least, she should have mentioned how important it is to be consistent with the offerings, Kelly complained. What did you ask her for? I asked, beginning to feel nervous. I hadn't felt or heard any ghosts in their home, which was rare for me as of late, but not completely strange. But I could feel the pull of that statue. As unsightly as it was, I kept wanting to look at it. It was a complete fluke, Kelly explained. Our first flight to Acapulco was delayed, and Lise made a joke that we should ask the skeleton. We were going to be stuck in the airport for like 11 hours waiting for the next flight out. I was just kidding around, you know. I said something like, Oh, Santa Muerte, bless us with speedy travel and an upgrade. The thing is, that's exactly what happened. The next thing you know, our names are being called over the loudspeaker, and we're sitting in first-class seats on the next flight out of there. There had been a medical emergency, Lisa said quietly. Kelly nodded in agreement. We laughed it off, but when we landed, there was this brutal taxi line, and we tried it again, and it worked again. It might have been a coincidence, but the third time, Lisa trailed off. Kelly said, Yeah, um, so that night at the hotel, we were hanging out by the pool, and these guys were sort of harassing us, you know? Like they wouldn't take the hint that we weren't interested. I said to Lisa, maybe our friend could help us. We laughed, and Lisa said, I said, Santa Muerte, please make them go away. One of the guys heard me, and he looked scared. Then out of nowhere, his friend, who'd been going to grab another beer at the bar, tripped and fell. He sliced his hand really bad on his beer bottle. They left to take him to the hospital, Kelly said, as she reached over to hold Lisa's hand. But that could still be a coincidence, though, right? I suggested. I suppose so, but then our luck turned. I got food poisoning the next night, and Lisa's passport went missing. You didn't make an offering, 
Betty guessed in a low voice. The women shook their heads in reply. I was digging through the luggage for the tenth time, hoping against hope that I'd find my passport, and that's when I saw the statue. And it sounds crazy, but I remembered the instructions our guide had given us. I figured it wouldn't hurt to try, so I took it out and put it on the dresser in the hotel room. I placed a couple of those mini bottles of booze in front of it, and then Kelly remembered that she liked to have a cup of water. I felt better almost immediately, Kelly said. I'd been so weak and nauseous, and all of a sudden I felt, well, better. I checked my purse again, for like the fourth time, and there was my passport, Lisa added. We were still thinking that maybe it had all been a strange string of coincidences, but when we got back home, we put it to the test. Lisa was just finishing her training to be a spin instructor, and I was working as a barista and babysitting on the side. We were making rent, but the wedding was more expensive than we'd planned, and things were really tight. We set Santa Muerte up on our tiny kitchen table and surrounded her with offerings. Then I asked for money. A lot of money, Lisa corrected. Kelly nodded. A week later, I got the letter. My parents have both passed, and I don't have much family left, but apparently my mom had an estranged cousin I'd never heard of. She didn't have any children, and for some reason she put me in her will. She left me seven million dollars. Holy shit, I exclaimed. Where in the hell did she get seven million dollars? The couple exchanged another guilty look. We didn't ask, Kelly said quietly. Well, all that doesn't sound so bad. I mean, a couple bottles of liquor and some pretty flowers isn't too steep a price to pay for all this good luck, right? Biddy snorted. I gave her a look. What? she asked. Be nice, I admonished. Biddy sighed and looked at the women across the table. I'm sorry. You've just gotten yourself caught up in something. She trailed off before saying, I don't know if we can get you out of this. Oh, no, Kelly exclaimed. We don't want out of anything. Santa Muerte has been wonderful to us. Too generous, really. Lisa looked terrified. She'd begun nodding her head vigorously and nibbling on a hangnail. I mean, how else could we ever afford a home like this? We are truly blessed. The words were right, but Kelly's tone wasn't convincing. I was 20 pounds overweight not six months ago, and now I'm a head spin instructor at the best cycling studio in Boston, Lisa pointed out. And I'm managing people twice my age, and my marketing firm just landed Amazon, Kelly pointed out. It was what we thought we wanted. We were planning to start a family, Lisa said sadly. But we've put that on hold for now, Kelly said with finality. Just for curiosity's sake, what would happen if you stopped providing offerings? Biddy asked. We went away for the weekend in October to visit some college friends. I completely forgot to put out fresh flowers that Friday and refill her glass of water. When we got back home on Monday, the flowers were wilted and her water had run out. It was a rough few days before things got back to normal. Actually, things didn't clear up for a few weeks. What happened? 
I woke up the next morning with this weird rash that ran down the side of my face, across my neck, and sort of wrapped around my torso. Our dermatologist couldn't do anything to stop the itching. She thought maybe it was shingles, but I knew it was a punishment. That's when we went out and bought that tequila. It's very rare. And now I have a standing order with Winston's. They send two seasonal arrangements every week, and we are sure to keep her water glass topped off. Her crystal water glass, Lisa added with a sad smile. And you haven't had any trouble since then? Betty asked, skeptically. I wouldn't say that, Lisa said seriously. We've had some warnings when things haven't been up to the saints' standards. We've had to learn as we go along. For one thing, it's best for us to stay close to home. She doesn't like to travel, and it's too nerve-wracking to leave her home alone for an extended time. We can't be sure that everything is as it should be. The saint sounded to me like a vindictive toddler. I kept the idea to myself. Has there been anything else? Has she manifested at all? Betty asked. The women looked at her as though they were shocked at her guess. We've begun to hear things down here at night, but we've been too afraid to come check, Lisa admitted. I've been getting these ideas in my mind, these, like, obsessions, but they aren't mine. It feels like if I don't get the things I all of a sudden want, I'll go crazy. It doesn't stop until I ask her for them and make an offering, Kelly said in a whisper. What are you asking for? I asked. Kelly looked down at her hands in her lap. It's like good isn't enough. We have to ask for perfection. We have to be the best. I have to be the top salesperson in my firm. Lisa has to be the lead instructor. The house has to be decorated flawlessly. I must drive a BMW. Her voice cracked. I fucking hate that car. She just wants what's best for us, Lisa pointed out quickly in a loud voice. Choosing my words carefully, I said, I'm not sure what you want us to do for you, but if you wanted to, I'm sure there are other people who would love to hear how powerful your saint is. We could put you in touch with them, right? I looked at Biddy. She nodded. Sure, I could arrange for you to meet Father. But she was interrupted by a loud crash. All four of us jumped. My eyes went straight to the altar. It looked exactly the same. But the large piece of driftwood that had been bolted over the fireplace was gone. It had fallen in an unlikely way. It lay halfway across the room at an odd angle. Kelly opened her mouth to speak, but closed it quickly. Lisa stood abruptly. You should go. You should both go now. I don't know what we were thinking. Biddy stood and pushed her chair back to the table. I followed. I'll email you the... I began to say... Lisa held up a hand. No, thank you. Thanks so much for coming. Um, I'll see you at spin in the morning, right? Great. She spoke quickly as she ushered us towards the front door. I looked back at Kelly to say goodbye. She was sitting very still, staring out the picture window in front of her. Biddy and I slipped on our jackets and stepped through the front door. Just forget this, okay? It's just a story, Lisa said, her voice steady, her arm on the door ready to close it. I'll do my best for you, Betty said. We heard another bang come from inside the house and immediately heard Kelly give a little shriek. 
Lisa looked behind her and slammed the door without saying goodbye. Betty and I walked to my car in silence. Once inside, she asked, Did you hear anything in there? Pulled from my thoughts, I said, Oh, no. Weird story, though, right? They're fucked, she said, pulling her seatbelt across her chest. Isn't there anything they can do? Oh, sure, but they'll lose everything, and I'd be willing to bet at least one of them would get really sick in the process. It'll be easier for them to just maintain the status quo at this point. I was silent, lost in thought as we pulled out of the driveway. What are you thinking? Biddy asked. Oh, just that I love my spin class and I don't want to have to change gyms again. A million thanks to David Grinstead, Olivia Suttles, Julia Newholland, Anaki Majumder, and Jenna Wagger for your generous support on Patreon. Please accept my sincerest apologies if I've murdered any of your names. Without your support, this podcast wouldn't exist. If you haven't yet, head over to check out Ghosts and the Burbs on Patreon, where each patron tier carries with it a small token of my thanks. The following patrons chose the $10 per month tier so that I might create a spooky story just for them. Here goes. This one is a clumsy tribute to one of my favorite books, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. The new chairwoman of the Wellesley chapter called her team to order. It's a new year and we've got our work cut out for us. I'll ask you to briefly go over the inroads you've made over the course of 2018 and to share with us the goals you've set for your clients in 2019. What happened to Jerry? A demon called from the back row. He's been reassigned, the chairwoman said in a low growl, her red eyes shining. I'm the boss now, and I expect better than what I've been reading in Jerry's reports. Who wants to go first? When none of the terrifying creatures occupying the lines of folding chairs before her volunteered, she pointed to a small gremlin in the front row. You. The diminutive demon stood nervously. Yeah, so uh, she was a handful this year because she got a raise and then met her soulmate, so that was a real punch in the balls. But then, tell us your client's name, you inept jackass, the chairwoman hissed. Oh, yeah, uh, sorry, it's Katie, uh, O'Dwyer, Katie O'Dwyer. Anyway, I was able to convince her that her hair was ugly, so she had it dyed blonde and chopped it off. That was good, I guess, and I've been hiding her keys in the morning, so that makes her really frustrated. But, uh, yeah, I guess for 2019, I'll just keep plugging away at it. I was thinking maybe I could work with her soulmate's demon to come up with some good arguments. The chairwoman stared, either unable or unwilling to speak. She pointed to a tall, thin demon with a tiny head and massive claws. Uh, me? The demon asked in a high-pitched voice. My client's name is Sally Tyso, and we had a pretty good year. My goal was to get her to stop trying so hard at work, and I think I've made progress. She seems to be bored with her job, and I've gotten her into the habit of shopping online, so that's a small win. For 2019, I want her to run up her credit card so she can't afford to go on a spring break trip with her old college friends. You, the chairwoman barked. 
The tall demon sat back down, and a round demon with skinny arms beside him stood up. Me? he asked. Yes, you idiot, she barked. Okay, well, I have Kelly O'Brien. She's actually friends with Sally, and I'm trying to get her to think that Sally's talking about her behind her back. Oh, shit, yeah, I was supposed to get Sally to send a text to her by accident, right? The tall demon admitted guiltily. Yeah, but you didn't. So, in 2019, I'm just going to try to get her to focus on self-care too much so she misses out on stuff with friends and, like, focus on herself too much so she forgets about all the goals she set for the year. Like, she wants to start up a non-profit to help kids who can't afford lunch or some shit like that, but I think if I can get her onto that MyFitnessPal app and then overhear some skinny women at her Zumba class talk about how fat they think they are, then I think she'll get pretty distracted, you know. The chairwoman stood and spread her large black wings. The room went completely silent. The demons held their breath, waiting for her to speak. How do you expect me to bring back this weak-ass bullshit to Satan? She bellowed. I'm sure that I don't have to remind all of you that Armageddon has been slated for the spring of 2023. Time is ticking, ladies and gentlemen, and all I've heard is a bunch of half-assed amateur bullshit. Where are my marital affairs? My jealousy-fueled rampages? You're giving me self-doubt. I want despair. Instead of distraction, I want these people consumed with obsession. Has anyone even thought about the long game? Have you considered laying the groundwork for something juicy? Ugh, what I wouldn't give for a fucking serial killer. You've been given influence over these people and you're thinking too damn small. We'll meet again tomorrow morning. I'll expect better. The demons groaned and rose from their seats. The new year brought with it hope, one of the most powerful of human emotions. It would have to be extinguished quickly. Their boss was right. They had their work cut out for them. This has been Ghosts and the Burbs. Good night, sleep tight, and don't forget your nightlight.